Hey! Hey, happy Father's Day to all of you. How many dads do we have? Can I ask? Great show of hands. Hey, we honor you this morning. Those of you that are dads, um, I, I got literally, I think, the coolest Father's Day card ever from my kids. My daughter picked it out. My daughter's four and a half. And uh, you may not be able to see it, but it's a Father's Day card with Darth Vader on the cover. Now, I will say you this. Uh, I, I will tell you that it is a little awkward to get a... Because um, he's probably not the dad that you want to be compared to. Um, you know, I mean, I think if it was like the dad from the Brady Bunch... Or, you know, I mean, that's like kind of more what I'm going for. You know, Mr. Huxtable, it's kind of more what I'm going for. Um, Darth Vader, maybe not so much. Um, <clears throat> although, um, although this is really a really cool uh, card because it says this. Of all the dads in all the galaxy, there's one thing that makes you unique. Only one thing you can claim. And then here's what it says. I am father. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. We were watching Return of the Jedi last night because that's what we do in our house. Uh, we read the Bible and watch Star Wars. Um, but we were uh, we were watching Return of the Jedi, and uh, you know they call him Lord Vader. And uh, and she says, Mia turns to me and she says, Papi, Darth Vader is not the real Lord. God is the real Lord. And I said, Yeah, that's right. She says, Yeah, he's not the real Lord because Darth Vader is always trying to kill people. And I said, yeah, that actually is true. Uh, so anyway, so this is my, my life. Um, can I ask you this? Uh, how many of you remember when MTV used to play music? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I'm with you. I'm with you. I loved MTV back then, like 20 years ago when they used to play. They actually were music television. Now they just play like really weird shows about you know, it's kind of like soft porn, basically. Um, uh, I mean, it kind of is. And so, but, but here's the thing. I remember the first time that I turned on MTV as a kid. I mean, it was like, well, 83 or something. And um, I was about 10. And uh, I saw some guys in bands playing music. And I thought, that has got to be the coolest job ever, is, uh, is to play music. And so I just kind of set in my mind that that's what I was going to do with my life. I was going to become a musician, I was going to start a band, I was going to go on tour, and I was going to sign autographs and play shows and take pictures of people and sign copies of my album. I mean, that, that's what I was going to do with my life. And, um, and then when I was 15, uh, on my 15th birthday, my parents both gave me some money, and uh, I was able to buy my first bass guitar. And uh, it was a real piece of junk Fender bass that I bought, but it was enough to get me started. And what I learned was that playing bass is not as easy as it looked on television, and uh, as most things aren't. And um, so I, what I did was I didn't really want to, like, learn. But what I did do was when no one was at home, I would um, crank my I get my tapes. Boy, that's another whole conversation. The tapes put my tape in my stereo system. Like who has a stereo system anymore? But I get my tape and my stereo system, crank it up. And I just put the bass on and just like do my Milli Vanilli impression kind of on the on the on the bass guitar, kind of, you know, wishing I was in that band. And uh, but I had this dream that I'd be in a band and go on tour and all this. And I had a, so through high school, I had this series of bands that I started, most of which are horrible. And if you ever found a recording of one of those bands, um, I'd probably give you my car uh, to get the recording from you um, because it's so it was so bad. But anyway, I I joined a band when I was a senior in high school um, and that was uh, on the verge of a record deal. And um, uh, about a year after being in that band, a year and a half, 
um, I became a Christian. And so I, um, <clears throat> I decided to leave the band um, to kind of pursue following God and, and, and all that. At the same time, another guy in our band who played guitar, um, he left for a completely different reason. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the band never got a record deal is because the two of us left around the same time. I left because I became a Christian. Um, he left to join a band you may have heard of called Marilyn Manson. And, um, and so the, the, the kind of the group that was left, they tried finding some other guys and it didn't work out. But uh, recently I was having lunch with the singer of our band. He owns a company in Orlando now. And so when I was there uh, on vacation, I don't know, six months ago or so, him and I had lunch. And uh, he says to me, he says, you know what I tell people when they ask me why our band didn't get signed and, you know, put out, out records or whatever? And I say, no. He says, I, I tell them, when they say, hey, how come it didn't all come together? How come you didn't get signed? And he says, well, I, I lost one to Jesus and I lost one to the devil. And that's why it didn't work out. And, uh, and I thought, man, that's actually fairly accurate. Um, but after I left the band, I started attending church. I met these guys that were in a band and needed a guitar player. So I joined the band, and then shortly after, we signed a record deal. And uh, it was a two-album deal, and uh, we, we put our first album out, and we scheduled our summer tour across America. So the summer of, uh, uh, I believe it was 1994 um, or 95, I don't know, it's, it's all getting a little blurry now. Uh, but I spent that whole entire summer touring America, and uh, it was great. It was the, it was from the, the, it's what I wanted when I was 12. I was signing the autographs and I was playing the shows and I was taking pictures of people and signing my albums and doing interviews with magazines and all of that and um, and, and, and visiting amazing places and, and, and all that. And, um, and, and that's what it looked like from a distance. But if you got a little closer, you would have found five guys that were really tired, that hadn't slept in months, that were eating fast food, breakfast, lunch and dinner, which sounds OK for like a day. After like a week, you know, you feel like you need to get your stomach pumped um, and then we're basically living in a van, traveling from city to city, and most of the time driving through the night to get to the next t- city that we were playing in. And some of the shows were amazing. Like, uh, the, the, the pic- if I've ever shown you pictures of the shows, or if you've ever Googled my name and found our video that's on YouTube, um, you're like, wow, that seems like it was an awesome thing. There were some highlights to the tour. There were also some other things that I want to forget, like the show that we played in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, when there was literally five people and a dog in attendance, literally. And it was four kids that were into our band. And then one kid's mom wouldn't let him go by himself. So she came too. So it was the four kids and then the mom. And then I don't even really know who owned the dog, but there was a dog there too. And it was a talk about awkward. There's as many people on the stage as there was in the crowd. And that's just awkward. And, uh, and so, you know, and, and the weird part of all of this is that when I, when I thought about it, and I thought, this is what I've wanted my whole life, is to be in a band, go on tour, sign a all this. And all I wanted to do was go home. And uh, they're like, so what do you want to do? You know, I want to go home. And when we got home and we, we, we had this meeting about, um, about, you know, who's bringing stuff to the table for the next album. And, um, and, and my, my first question was, do we have to go on tour again? Um, or can I hire someone to go for me? And, I mean, that was like one of the things I, was, I didn't want to go. And this is what I had always wanted. And it's a weird thing to get what you've always wanted, only to find out that it's not what you want. And uh, we all experience this to some degree, right? When you're single, you think, man, if I could just get married, it would just put everything into focus. It would make everything clear. I would find that person to spend my life with. And then I, would just, I know that I'd be happy. And then you get married and you say, this can't be it. 
Right. And because this was supposed to make me happy and I'm something else. But I don't know if happy is what I describe. And uh, it's which I usually tell people, if you want to get happy, if you want to be happy, buy an annual pass for Disney World. Um, you know, but don't equate marriage with being happy because anyway, we talked about that stuff in the past. Um, but what happens is you'll say, well, marriage didn't make me happy. So what should I do? And then we'll say, I know I should have kids. <laughs> that's just, see, that's funny to me. I remember thinking that. And I just thought, you're so dumb. And now and then, but people say that, oh, I just, I know I'll be happy if I have kids. Yeah, for like 20 minutes. And then, you know, you're going to, you, you'll, you'll have this experience where you clean your whole house. And then within like 10 minutes, your kids will make that place look like a bomb just went off. And, and you're like, what happened here? We just cleaned this up. And then your kids will turn to you and say, I don't know. No, I do know. You basically just said everything that's in a container needs to come out of that container. And, and we're just going to roll around in everything, you know. And, and, and here's the key is that all of us are looking for something that will give us the life that we've always wanted. And but really, if we're honest, we're not really looking for the thing. We're looking for what's underneath that thing. We're looking for actually something kind of the spiritual component to the thing that we're trying to, to strive for and the thing that we desire. Jesus would say it this way. Uh, he would say the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, everyone, in, in, everyone is looking for the life that Jesus talks about. The problem is we tend to look for that life in all the wrong places. Um, I know I've asked you a couple of questions today. Can I ask this? Some of you are old enough to remember the old. How many of you remember the old, like Charlie Brown specials? Uh, right. Okay, many of us. That's awesome. Um, the, the old Charlie Brown specials, you remember, uh, like, it's not like now where you can just TiVo it or buy it on, on DVD. You couldn't even buy it on VHS back then. You know, now it was like... You caught it when it was on or you had to wait until next year. And so I remember waiting um, and it's like nothing, nothing could interrupt when, um, you know, uh, uh, Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin Patch, you know, that came on or Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown or any of those, uh, any of those came out. Um, and so but if you remember, the old Charlie Brown uh, specials were always sponsored by York's Peppermint Patty. You remember that? And then uh, so all the commercials were of York's Peppermint Patty. And uh, if, if you remember, they would all, all, all talk about what happened when you bit into one. You remember that? And it would be like, when I bite into a York's peppermint patty, I feel like I'm swooshing down the Swiss Alps. And I would think like, wow. And I remember as a kid, I was like seven, eight, nine years old. I'm like, if I bit into a York's peppermint patty, I think my head would explode. It would be so awesome. And, uh, and I remember later on in life, I actually bought a York's peppermint patty based on that commercial. And I bit into a York's peppermint patty and I felt like puking. Because I'm like, who filled this with peppermint toothpaste? This is disgusting, right? And, and, and here's the thing, like advertisers understand that there's a life that we're looking for. And that there, there's, we're all looking for change. We're all looking for the life that we've always desired. And listen, but here's the message in contrast to all of that. Which is what culture tells us, that there's something that you're missing to get this life. And listen, if you're a Christian in this room, here's the message of Romans 8. If you're a Christian, you've already got that life. You have what's underneath the stuff that we look for to find significance. In fact, um, you might be a Christian and here's what you might think. I'm a Christian and I don't have the life that I've always wanted. And the reason is because we don't realize what we already have. We don't realize what's already in the inventory of what God has already given to us. 
And so what the Apostle Paul lays out in Romans chapter 8, and if you would open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8, is that, and the reason that we're looking for something else is simply this, is because we don't realize what we already possess. And so what we're going to look at is three really huge ideas. Three things that we really are looking for that we don't realize that we already possess as Christians. And we're going to start in Romans 8, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, um, here's the first thing that I want you to know about this life that we've always wanted. What we're really looking for is um, we What we want and what we have as believers, listen, is we have a life without feeling condemned, a life without feeling condemned. And sometimes we just don't understand what God has actually given to us. And one of the things that um, happens many times for us is that we look at what God has said and we just have this misnomer in our in, in our minds as to what God does, because sometimes we think coming to God, I'm going to feel condemned when instead he says this, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so uh, now let me explain it this way. Um, the other night I was in charge of making dinner because my wife wasn't feeling well. And um, and if you know, if you've been around here at all, you know that I don't really do much cooking. And uh, so I gave out a couple of options. And um, so basic, which the basic option was cereal. And uh, we're having cereal for dinner. And so, but Mia wanted this other kind of cereal for dinner. And I was trying to get everybody on the same page so I didn't have to do much. So I'm like, why don't you just have this? Or, no, I want this other cereal. So I say to her kind of jokingly, well, if you eat that, if you go on that cereal, you're going to have to eat the whole box. And, um, and, and so she doesn't, um, and then she kind of stops. And a second later, she turns to her mom who was there and she says, oh, mommy. Eat the whole box. You know I don't like paper. You know I don't like to eat paper. And I, and I, and then we said to her like, no, no, Mia, I, I, we're just kidding. That's an expression. Like that's a joke, right? You got to eat the whole box. I didn't have to eat the actual box. Just means you got to eat what's in in the box. And and she goes, oh, oh, okay, ha ha ha. And it was this really nervous laugh of of ha ha. And uh, now and, and the whole thing is sometimes that's what we think is that I come to God and. Oh, you know, what, what's going to happen when really it's, it's this life without feeling condemned? You see, verse one of Romans eight, I think, is one of the most important verses in the Bible. And listen, if, if you will receive it into in your life and, and believe that, listen, it will radically change your life. Because what we look for in life is essentially what verse one gives to us. And that is a life um, of, uh, that God offers us his forgiveness and grace, the release from the guilt that we carry around. And, I, and I, I'm telling you, I was racking my brain as to how I was going to explain this. Uh, how do you explain that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? And what I, I figured the best way to do it was to talk to you about a story from Jesus's life. And um, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter eight, there's a story of a woman uh, who's caught in the act of adultery and they bring her to Jesus 
uh, the religious leaders of the day. And they present her to Jesus and say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And then I put the rest of the story in your notes. So here's where we pick it up uh, here in your notes in John 8. It says, this they said, testing him, that he might that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning at the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he said to her, then neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Now, there's a couple things that I want to share with you in this story that I think make the response of Jesus so brilliant. The first of which is is that Jesus knew this whole thing was a sham. Why? Because it says that she was caught in the very act of adultery. They bring her. But here's the, the problem. If that's true, where's the guy? Because last time I checked, I'm pretty sure it takes two people to commit adultery, right? At least that's what I learned when they did like the, those kind of education classes when I was in school, right? It, need, it takes two people, right, to, to, to do that. And, um, and, if, if that's the, and the second thing is they're just trying to test him at this poor woman's expense. So Jesus writes on the ground. And I just find this so fascinating because um, we don't really know exactly what Jesus wrote on the ground. The only thing that we have is this little clue. Um, from the, the actual Greek word that's used. The Greek word that says he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger is the same, is, is this Greek word, uh, katagrapheia. Um, grapheia is where we get our English word graphics, which is to write. But the katagrapheia literally means to write against. And so he was writing against those who were accusing. So what could he have been writing? I mean, who knows? Maybe he, he was writing and um, he wrote down a woman's name and a hotel room number. And then you see one guy, whoa, okay, I'm out of here. And then another guy, he writes, he writes something else. He writes some other name, some other activity. He writes down a date. And then a couple of guys are like, hey, we'll, we'll catch you later. Hey, coming, where am I, is he calling me? And, uh, and next thing you know, whatever it is that he writes, it's something that makes everyone realize that they're guilty. And they walk away. And he's left alone with this woman. And then he says to her, where are these accusers? Has anybody condemned you? No. He says, then go and sin no more. Now, please understand, one of the things that's so important is, is that we, sometimes we ascribe tones to the passage. Right? And, and it's so important for us to understand the, the character and nature of God. And, and because if we, if we don't understand the character and nature of God, we will ascribe tones to the, the people that are speaking that really aren't in, in the spirit in which they were spoken. So Jesus does not say, now go your way and sin no more, pointing his finger. No, instead he says, go your way and sin no more. You're free. Go. You, it, 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 it's, you, there's no condemnation. Listen, the person, the freest person on this planet is the Christian who understands this truth, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we live in a world of people who are riddled with guilt. 
And they're looking for anything that will ease the pain of that guilt. You know under, uh, that, that um, advertisers understand this. Think about this. There's a whole line of foods that's sold under the guy, that, are, that are called guilt-free whatever it is. And it's like, doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter if you eat it, there is no guilt associated with eating it. So you can say, well, would you like something uh, for dinner? No. I just ate an entire box of guilt-free ice cream sandwiches. Are really an entire box? No, it's okay. They're guilt-free, so I feel fine. Right? And so isn't it amazing? Right? Because advertisers, marketers, they all understand this, that there's this guilt that we have because we've done things wrong in the past. And so it's like, well, we're trying to do something to kind of to, 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 to ease the guilt. And so... Paul begins Romans 8, because remember, Romans 7 was about how we continually fail and fall. And then he starts Romans 8 and says, sure, sure, we all fail, we all fall, but there's no condemnation. There's no penalty or punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus has already taken the penalty and the punishment for us. Jesus would say it this way in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. He says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Here's the point. The life that we've been looking for, that we can, be, that we can free ourselves from the guilt that we have, it's right here. We simply have to embrace the gospel. That Jesus paid the price and he told us, listen, go your way. I don't condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Once again, the misnomer that we have, that, that people have of Christianity is that the closer that they get to Jesus, the more condemnation they're going to feel. Just the opposite. The closer that we get to Jesus and the more that we embrace this freeing truth of the gospel, the more that we experience the freedom that God gives us from the things that actually would condemn us. It's the life that we're looking for. There's more. Look at verse 5. He says, For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit of him who dwells in you. In you. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, the first thing that we said was is that we live a life without feeling condemned. The second thing I want to point out in these verses is that we live a life without feeling controlled, without feeling condemned, without feeling controlled, because nobody wants to be controlled. Right now, let me explain it this way. Uh, this past Wednesday, uh, I had my family met me for lunch. Um, I was in the office and they, they, we decided to meet up for lunch. So we met at Chick-fil-A. And um, now we had a great time, except for the fact that I got a chocolate milkshake and um, Mia said to me, Bobby, we can share this milkshake. 
which basically means you get three sips and I'll have the rest. And uh, that's kind of exactly what happened. Well, after lunch, I still had a few minutes before I needed to get back to the office. So we said, well, hey, why don't we let the kids play in the playground at Chick-fil-A and then we'll just carry it and sat on the bench and had like adult conversation for a little bit. And um, we had they, the kids had a blast and, and Xander uh, went down the big slide by himself. And uh, after he slid down, we all cheered and clapped for him, and he was very excited. And then the next time he went down, we didn't clap, so he decided to clap for himself to kind of, like, get the party going. Like, all right, oh, then we say, hey, clap. And, all right, we'll clap for you again because that's, you know, he's very confident in that way. And um, so when I had to go back to the office, we said, all right, Mia, we're all done. Um, and so Mia got down. She uh, we walked out of the playground, and then we washed her hands, and she was fine. My son, Alexander, who's almost two, um, saw what was going on. And he, he went down the slide. We told him he was done. He turns around and climbs up the slide and to get to the top so that he was out of our reach. And uh, and so, you know, and then he kind of like peeks his head over and says, <laughs> you know, like I'm up here and you can't catch me. And uh, so um, so then I did like my norm, like a typical parent thing. And I'm like, you know, the kid, get yourself down here right now. Like in one of those real like dad voices and uh, nothing, you know, like, no. So he keeps walking around. Then I realized, because Xander is like as independent as they come. I mean, as independent as they come. And um, so I said to him, I said, Xander, why don't you show Poppy how you go down the slide? Sure. Comes down the slide. Hey, that's great. Come on. And I pick him up, and uh, we're walking out, and he starts freaking out a little bit. And I say, hey, do you want some juice? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd like some juice. So we wash his hands. We get him some juice. I start talking to him for a minute. Next thing you know, he's sitting in his car seat strapped in watching a movie. And he's like, whoa, what just happened? I mean, he just kind of like, he just realized, like, I've just been hosed here. As to, you know, there's something going on. And, um, and I'm like, yeah, you just got the Jedi mind trick pulled on you. Uh, and you'll learn. Um, but here's the thing that, that takes place. It, it, like, my son is two. And it doesn't matter how, how old you are, no one wants to be controlled. We want freedom to make choices while at the same time, and this is kind of the interesting dichotomy of us as people, is that we don't want to be controlled, but we do want someone to lead us and maybe and give us direction as well. And there's a big difference between being led and being controlled. Dictators control. Leaders guide, lead, and direct. When the Holy Spirit um, comes into our lives, when we become a Christian, He doesn't start controlling us. No, and so the Holy Spirit, what he does is he leads us in love. And, um, and there, there's a big difference because we become awakened spiritually, and that's what these verses begin to contrast. This is what happens when you're living in the flesh. This is what happens when you're living in the Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes to live in you, your spirit is awakened. And now you're open to the Spirit of God leading and directing you. Yet what happens is, and, he, and when we do the right thing, what God wants us to do, it leads us to the life that we've always wanted. And here's the misnomer that people have. What happens is, is that, once again, people think, if I become a Christian, if I start really walking with God, here's what's going to happen. Then God's going to try to control me. Someone's going to try, some outside force or person is going to try to control me and my actions and what it is that I do. When really, it's just the opposite. When you become a Christian, that's the freest that you can ever be. And yet then when you become a Christian, it's the freest you can ever be. Now the Spirit of God begins to lead you and direct you to say, yeah, now you have real, have real options because all of every person, you and I, all of us, every person living on this planet has um, drives, right? All, every person, every human body has drives. We have the drive to breathe. We have the drive 
uh, uh, to, to, to quench thirst, sex, food. These are all basic human drives that all of us have. Yet when we yet well, let me say it this way. All of these drives were meant, created to be God guided, to be God guided. But yet when we don't know God or we reject God's authority in our lives, here's what happens. We say, well, no, I reject that because I don't want to be controlled. The problem is that we actually become controlled by the things that we think are giving us more options. When when you come to God, the spirit of God wants to lead us and direct us. Here's what takes place. We actually then have the ability to see something that we don't want to do and say, no, I don't want to I don't want to do that. Beforehand, there is no option. It's what we do because the drive that's supposed to be God-guided is now actually controlling us. And it's when you come to God and your spirit is awakened that you now actually have the option to do it or not. And now the drive isn't what controls you and drives you. You realize that it's there, but now you realize there's a way to fulfill that desire that I might have in a way that brings me the life that I've always desired. You see, that's why Paul says that the flesh cannot please God. In verse 8, because the only person that the flesh cares about is pleasing itself. And that's why he says in verse 6 that the results of being controlled by your flesh is death. But yet the second part of it is that the results of being directed, led, guided by the Holy Spirit is life and peace. You see, and what, look, this is what the life looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is Galatians 5, is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then at the end he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so it's a life without being condemned. It's a life without being controlled. And there's one last thing that I want to show you that speaks a lot to us about Father's Day. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. If we live according to the flesh... For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For if you did, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to talk about. And that is um, we have a life without feeling condemned, a life without feeling controlled. Here's the third one, a life without feeling confused, without feeling confused. One of the greatest things that a child uh, that one of the greatest things that causes a child to understand the world and to understand themselves is having a godly father. Moms, you know, I care about you very much, but I'm going to talk to the dads for a minute. Um, a child understands the world based on how his father paints the world for him. In Hebrew culture, in a Jewish culture, this was called the patriarchal blessing where a father would bless his sons and bless his daughters and speak into their lives what he saw in them. Now, this just wasn't a pep talk. This was the person who was responsible for raising you, who knew you better than anyone else, saying, my son, my daughter, this is what I see in you. 
You see, throughout the scriptures, one of the things that we find is that those uh, that those blessings directed the child's life. And when he spoke them into their lives to what they were supposed to become, you see this with um, with Abraham and Isaac. You see Isaac doing this with Jacob and Esau. You see Jacob doing this with all of his sons in uh, the in uh, Genesis chapter 49. You see David at the end of his life. He blesses his son Solomon and prays for him and speaks into his life that which God is doing in here in his life. And here's what happens. That which their father spoke into their life is what they became. And the reason that many times we're confused in life is because we've never received the patriarchal blessing that a father passes on to his son. Listen, I I will be totally honest with you that I think that it is very difficult in the world in which we live to be a 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 year old um, in this world in which we live in. Because there are so many options. You see, in, in one way, it's a great blessing that it's like you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do. And now a teenager, um, someone that's hitting their early 20s is saying, yeah, I can do anything I want to do. But that's the problem. I've got too many options as to what I'm what it is that I'm supposed to do. You see, 100 years ago, the world was much simpler than it is today. Right. Your dad was a farmer and your grandfather was a farmer. Guess what you became a farmer. There was no question. That's what you did. Right. Your grandfather was a banker and your father was a banker. What did you go into horticulture? No, you went you became a banker. It's it's what it's what is what you did. Right. And and so it, it was simple. But now there's a million options. Right. For anyone to do whatever. But listen, all those possibilities come at a price. And listen, the price, we hope, is paid by a father to really know his children so that he can impart the blessing. Dads, this beside, next to you staying, with, you staying with your wife and modeling who God is for your kids, this is the, next to that, this is the greatest gift. This patriarchal blessing is the greatest gift that you give to your kids. Not so that you can speak into their life so that they will live the unfulfilled life that you didn't have. And say, well, I always wanted to play Major League Baseball, and so I'm just going to tell him that he's going to become a professional baseball player. I'm not saying that. But so that you can watch them and observe them and, and observe their talents and their gifts and speak into their lives um, a word of blessing when the time is right. And I'm telling you that I'm watching my kids like a hawk because there will come a day that I will speak into the lives of my kids, the two that I have and the one on the way and the ones that Carrie has not agreed to have yet. Um, <laughs> and I will speak into their lives and I will say this and, and, I'll, and I'll pray for them and lay my hands on them and I'll say this. This is what I see in you. This is how I believe that God has shaped you. And listen, the patriarchal blessing, here's what it does, Dad. This is why it's so huge. It cuts through the confusion. And it, and it, and it cuts all the other stuff out and says, based on the, everything that I know about you and based on the gifts that you have and the desires that you have and, and, the, and the talents that you have, this is what I see. And now you can narrow the scope for them, not because you're trying to, to, to confine them, but instead what you're trying to do is refine what it is that's already there. And listen, and those words that you speak, will listen, are so important because many times it will set the entire trajectory of their lives. Sometimes this is not obvious. Let me give you an example of my son 
um, who's almost two, and obviously I've got a lot of time in, in this um, for, for me to really speak to him about this, but based on where he is, my son um, loves to climb. He will climb anything. It doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing. He sees something and he thinks, how can I get on top of that? You know, you know, so it doesn't matter. Like we're in a bookstore and he looks at the bookshelf and he says, if I put one foot there and one foot there, put my leg there, I could probably climb on top of that bookshelf. He doesn't realize he's going to fall and we're going to in the emergency room. But he's thinking, how do I get to the top of this? Most of the time he's trying to climb things and challenge himself to, to do all these things, most of which are dangerous. And you might say, and this is kind of a very cursory thing that, you know, and say, well, he's just going to be a climber. Well, he does that because he's two. That's the only form of expression that he has. But once again, can we look maybe a little bit deeper for that? What does that represent? You see, maybe what it is, what he does is that he's, he pushes himself to do things that he's never seen anyone else do before because he's never seen anyone climb the crazy things that he does. These are all things that just kind of come out of his own crazy little mind is climbing all this stuff. But he just thinks um, he's like, no one has done this, but I'm going to do this and I'm going to push myself to conquer this thing. I mean, um, in many ways, isn't that the definition of an entrepreneur? Someone who looks at the marketplace, sees something lacking in the marketplace and says, I could do something that no one has ever done before. And I could offer this, and yeah, there's going to be some risk, but I'm kind of a little more prone to do things that are risky, and and I could maybe offer something in the marketplace that could add value. Interesting. And maybe that's the route that he'll go. We'll see. In some ways, it's the definition of a senior pastor and a church planter. Someone who looks at the spiritual scope and says, there's an area where no one is preaching the gospel. Well, why is that? Well, nobody wants to go there. And more of a spiritual entrepreneur, he says, well, then I do want to go there because nobody else wants to go there because somebody's got to preach the gospel in that area. And then they go there and start preaching the gospel and start a church from nothing. The point is this. You've got to look beyond just what they do and see the thing that it actually represents. Now, the question that I get all the time whenever I talk about this, and I try to talk about this every chance I get because I really do believe that it's so important. Um, And this is the question that I get is, what if I don't have a dad who was able to speak this into my life? In fact, what if I have a dad but he never gave me the blessing? What if I had a dad who wasn't really around and um, he never really cared to give me one? He never knew anything about this stuff then here's my suggestion to you. You've got to go to your heavenly father to get it. You see, when, um, let me read you this passage in Mark chapter 10. I put it in your notes. It says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he, Jesus, took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. What's he doing there? He's giving them the patriarchal blessing that maybe their parents never gave them. And listen, and here's what can happen many times is that they God will bring many times. God will bring someone into your life and they will speak the blessing into your life. Many times you don't have that. and, And God will just from the scriptures, from a pastor, from a teacher will speak the blessing into your life. Many of you know, um, Many of, you have, many of you have been here when Dr. Bob Barnes has taught, right? You, you've, you've been here, and um, I, I've been able to, to, to become uh, 
friends with him um, over the last year or so, and it's been an amazing experience for me to uh, develop a relationship with him. Um, in fact, um, the first time that Carrie and I had lunch with, with uh, Dr. Barnes and his wife, uh, we were meeting them at a restaurant. Our babysitting fell through, so we had to take our kids to the lunch appointment and, um, and, and uh, to the lunch we were having. I was so nervous taking my kids. Because, see, if you don't know, Dr. Barnes is, is like the parenting guy. This guy has written best-selling books on marriage and parenting. So I'm, I'm driving, and, and, and I'm so nervous. And all I'm thinking is, guys, whatever you do, do not melt down when we get there. I will give you anything you want. Because that's practicing good parenting. Uh, because I, I just cannot have you guys melt down when we get there. And we get there. And the first thing my daughter does when we get there is have a complete meltdown right there as we walk. You know, I mean, one of those. And my my wife, like, was just amazing. I mean, it's like just so good the way she handled it. And uh, we got some food in her and it was and it was great. And and she was they were great for the rest of the time. And um, but uh, this week I I was I had lunch with Barnes and uh, we. uh, Uh, we started talking about some things and he's asking me some questions about the church and I'm telling him some things that are on the horizon and uh, I'm just telling him, Jesus, we're just talking. And, and there's this moment where he says, you know, Bob, getting to know you, this is who you are. And he just kind of says about four or five sentences about who I am. And it was like, I mean, and it's just like, wow. I mean, I, I was totally blown away and I didn't realize at this very moment he's giving me the patriarchal blessing, this guy that I, I respect and care about so much, he's, he's giving me the blessing. And I mean, and I'm so moved by it. I mean, I start kind of tearing up a little bit, you know, um, and, and he's like, uh, and he says this about me, and he just kind of says it in passing. And he says, you know, this is what I see in you. And he says it, and I start kind of tearing up a little bit. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, it's just really spicy. Or, you know, it's a French fry. Very spicy fry. You know, I mean, it's just, I didn't know what to say. And um, now... But here's the the point, is that Paul says, listen, because we're Christians, we can cry out, check this out, Abba, Father. Listen, the the term Abba does not just refer to a Swedish band that had hits in the 70s. Um, And I'm going to just pass that. There's just so many jokes there, and I'm just passing that because I'm, I'm bigger than that. I'm more mature than that, all right? Boulevu. All right, I gotta go. I gotta go. All right, here we. I'm passing. I'm passing it though. But here's the thing. Uh, Abba is, um, and most of you didn't even know. Like you don't even know. I grew up listening to. Abba. My mom was like really into Abba. See, I can't do it. I can't do it. I have to get. I have to mature. I'm still a child when it comes to this stuff. All right. Uh, but, but, um, we're gonna. We're going. Um, <laughs> Abba is an Aramaic word. It's an Aramaic word, and here's what it really means. It means daddy. It's a very, very, very personal word. You see, some of us don't see God as our dad. We see God as God, creator, omnipotent. Maybe even we're enough to call him, you know, hello, father. You know, and it's like in a very formal British royalty kind of way. Heavenly Father, we beseech you this afternoon. It's like that's how we, we view God. But, but to call him dad, we, well, I couldn't call him dad. I mean, that just seems so like, personal, 
right? But here's what the Bible says, is that because we've come to know God through Christ, we can call him dad. You know, when my kids call me, um, my daughter has an iPod, and he has, she has one of those iPods that has FaceTime, which I thought would be really fun. And it was for like a half an hour. Um, but it doesn't matter where I, she calls me all the time. Whenever she's home, she's like, Bobby, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, um, it's like, you know, the old next tells, which like, didn't matter where you are. Yo, what's up? And it's like, you know, I'm in prayer or something. You know what I mean? I'm talking to them in a funeral and it's like, yo, what's up? And it's one of those things. Well, my daughter will call me at any time, but here's the thing. I just, and the reason that she does is because I make a point. It doesn't matter who I'm with. Uh, it doesn't matter where I am. If she calls me, I answer. Because the person who on the other line, I'm going I'm to pick up and I'm going to say hello. And she's going to go, Bobby, Daddy. And see, the relationship cuts through any kind of formality. And see, that is what happens. We can call God, the creator of the universe, our dad. Because we've been adopted by him. My friends, adoption is not a word to throw around lightly, especially in that culture. In that culture, adoption gave children who were adopted into a family the same rights, authority, and privileges. It changed their legal status to where they were on the same par as physical sons. They had the same inheritance. And see, that's why Paul says that we are not just heirs, we are joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. That everything that Jesus inherits from the Father, we inherit from the Father. You see, how much does the father love his son? Jesus, listen, here's what we learn. The same amount that he loves you. Because he adopted you to be his child. And here's the point. The point is that the life that you've been dreaming of having, the life that you desire, this life without condemnation, this life without feeling controlled, this life without feeling confused, it's all found in your relationship with God when you realize that he is your dad. It's found in embracing the gospel and realizing how it is and seeing yourself the way that God sees you. And the only way that you can understand how God sees you is by, and the only way you can understand the world around you is through the, is through the gospel and through the cross. How loved are you? How much value do you have that God sent his own son to die in our place? You see, we have that. What tells you how much value something has is the willingness of a person to pay the ultimate price. How much was he willing to pay? He was willing to give the life of his son so that he could inherit us. And then as his kids, we could inherit everything. You see, um, you and I have this opportunity. And that is that we can go after the life that we wanted by going after lesser things. Or we could experience the life that we've always wanted. You know, the one that we don't feel condemned, but we experience forgiveness and grace. We're not controlled by certain things, but instead we experience freedom and the love and leading and direction of the Holy Spirit. Where we don't feel confused, but instead our father, our dad, has spoken to us the blessing and said, this is who you are. This is how loved you are. That it now gives us the confidence to take the step knowing that our dad is going to be with us no matter what.
We have the two options available to us. And now the question is, which one will we take? I pray that we take the one that leads to the life that we've always wanted, the life that's already possible, that we already have, if we'll simply believe it. Let's pray together. And God, we want to thank you. Thank you for the fact that you're our dad. Not just Heavenly Father, not just God of the universe, not just Creator. You are our dad, and you love us like a dad. And I pray that we would walk in the way that you want us to walk, that we would experience the life that we've always wanted because, truth be told, it's the life that you want for us. So, Lord, may that life, may we discover it starting today because what a day like Father's Day to discover that you're our dad and that you don't just love us, you like us and you want to walk with us. In Jesus' name, amen.